Again, we are continuing on our, our crawl through the Lord's Prayer, our intentional crawl. Uh, we're, the, the main text, which, uh, which we pray a certain form of, is again Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver, deliver us from evil. This is the reading of God's word. Please be seated. That's the longer um, kind of major reading uh, of Jesus giving us this prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. It's found in, in one other part of the Gospels, in Luke 11. It's a little bit shorter. Uh, it's a great scene. I think it's a beautiful scene because Jesus is with his disciples and he goes off uh, in view of them and he begins to pray. And so presumably they're watching Jesus pray. They're stopping what they're doing. He finishes praying, they get up, and then one of the disciples, we're told, goes to Jesus and says, Lord, teach us to pray. Now here's what I love about that scene. Uh, because we, we can imagine, as we kind of stand in line with the other disciples, we can kind of imagine being in the presence of Jesus, watching him pray, and when he finishes, our first response is, whatever he has, I want that. Isn't that what that scene's communicating? Whatever we just witness Jesus doing, can I just have a little bit of, w- of what Jesus has? Lord, teach us to do that. And he gives us an answer. And it's this prayer. Now, so far in this series, uh, we've looked at what it means to pray to our Father in heaven. Jesus, our elder brother, he invites us to come alongside of him and, and address his Father as ours. He's the one who's in heaven, which means that he's outside of us. He is above us, and yet he is closer than we can ever wrap our minds around. He is so intimate and near. This is God and his goodness and his greatness. We pray, hallowed be your name, that God would be preeminent in all things, crucially, not just the world, but our own hearts and our own lives. That he would make his goodness and greatness known and realized more and more. The Lord's Prayer from the start reminds us where all of our prayers begin, which is in recognizing our need. Not just our need for daily provisions, not just our our immediate prayer requests, and I do think we're going to get there. That's a really crucial part of of prayer. But no, what we need more than anything is is God. And we need God to be God in our lives. And then today we come to the second petition. The second request that Jesus says you need to bring this before God as you go to him in, in prayer. You need to pray your kingdom come. God, bring your kingdom. That feels like a big prayer. And what we'll see is that it is. So what does it mean for us to join Jesus in praying a prayer that I think if we're being honest, it it, it very rarely comes out in our prayer time, that we would have Jesus' kingdom come. Three points that are are there in your your bulletins that that we'll unpack and and hopefully get a better grasp of what it means to pray, God, your kingdom come. And so three points is that it's a prayer of clear-eyed realism. It's a prayer of concrete hope. And it's a prayer of countercultural transformation. 
The prayer, your kingdom come, first of all, is a prayer of clear-eyed realism. It's a prayer that arises from life in a fallen world. Uh, it's a prayer that, that takes inventory of, of the darkness. I love that phrase. It takes inventory of the darkness. It's a prayer that looks at the kingdoms of the world. It's a comparative prayer, I think. It, it looks at the kingdoms of the world and ultimately comes away hopeless in them and their ability to bring about justice, peace, and righteousness. I love what N.T. Wright says here when, when he's, he's answering the question, do we really need this prayer? Uh, isn't this a prayer we graduate from? And he says, we live as Jesus lived, in a world all too full of injustice, hunger, malice, and evil. This prayer cries out for justice, bread, forgiveness, and deliverance. If anyone thinks those are irrelevant in today's world, let them read the newspaper and think again. I think we're a church that's pretty comfortable with clear-eyed realism. Uh, we just wrapped up a couple months ago a, a series in the book of Habakkuk. That's just a book about suffering and, and evil and God's sovereign relationship to suffering and evil. That's some clear-eyed realism. We've been through a series in the book of Ecclesiastes, my favorite book in the Bible, and that is a book of clear-eyed realism. The preacher says in chapter 4, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and I saw the tears of the oppressed, and behold, there's no one to comfort them. I saw the oppressors in their power, there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who were already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. It's a little clear, too clear-eyed, isn't it? That's a picture of life under the sun. Now come back to the Lord's Prayer, because this is a, a prayer of clear-eyed realism. Prayer, Jesus is, is communicating, is a uh, serious business. Prayer is serious business. Jesus is raising the stakes of our prayers. Are you hearing that? Jesus is saying that there is one whose shoulders can bear the weight of all that is broken and wrong in this world. You can't. The kingdoms of this world can't. But there is one who can. And there is one whose kingdom is coming that will eradicate all that is wrong and all that is broken and all that is undone and all that is sinful, and all that is evil. And so we pray for that kingdom to come. Your kingdom come is an acknowledgement that this world is not the way it's supposed to be. And at the same time, God, you have the ability and the power to do something about it. And so Jesus is raising the stakes of our prayers. Now let me give you a couple of illustrations of, of how I think we can interact with this. Um, let's say that you have a car that's not running very well, and it has been a long time since you've had an oil change, and anyone take a look at the car. And so you, uh, you take it into the shop, um, you're, you're hoping it's going to be a $45 oil change, you know, maybe you can go up to $150, bucks, you know, get, get a couple of things fixed. The, the car technician comes out and says, oh, your engine's done. And so all of a sudden, that, that maybe $100 budgeted idea is now a $4,000 repair, and your day just got ruined, didn't it? You went in for something minor, you came out with something pretty devastating. Now let me, let me give you a, a harder illustration than that. Let's say that you are having um, some, some pain in your stomach, and you're thinking maybe these are digestion issues, and so you go to the doctor, they run a bunch of tests, and eventually, after running so many tests, the doctor comes and says, you have cancer. And so you thought maybe you had a gluten intolerance. You thought maybe you needed to take probiotics, and the doctor says, you need to start a round of chemo. You thought you were going in for something minor, and behold, you've come out with, with life-altering news. 
Now, those are hard illustrations, especially the second one, but maybe there is something analogous to what Jesus is doing with our own prayer life. Because our prayers often sound like, God, if, if, if you could just open some doors in my life here and there. I don't want health and wealth like theology, but if you could give me a little health and wealth, nothing too extravagant, I think I'd be doing okay. If I could just open up your word and glean some encouraging words to kind of give me a little, little air under my wings, I think I'll feel pretty good. And Jesus says right at the beginning of the prayer, man, you have needs that run far deeper. And he communicates this in, in just this petition. When you pray, pray your kingdom come. Now we need to establish what is the kingdom that we're praying for. Uh, first of all, the kingdom of God, this is not a realm that you can find on a map. This is not a place that, that we need to go to. The kingdom is God's rule and reign over his people. I'll say that again because that's the simple definition of God's kingdom. It is God's reign and rule over his people. It's all over the Bible. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they lived in the kingdom of God, didn't they? It was God's realm. It was God's rule. But of course, they rejected it. Adam rejected life under God's kingship, and he sought to establish his own throne. And now our world, instead of being under the reign and rule of God as it was intended to be, it is now under the reign of sin and death. Romans 5, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so the picture there is maybe like iodine droplets in a, in a glass of water, right? And we're, and we're watching it just take over the whole mass, all of, all of the water transformed. Everything, every aspect of, of life in this world is tainted by sin, and sin is destructive, and it's defacing. And so Jesus says, that is why we pray, your kingdom come. Sin and death have disfigured our world. God, we need you to do something about it, and our hope and expectation is not that we just escape the world. It's not, God, take me now. It's, God, you come and do something about it. Your kingdom come is expressing that we are not satisfied with things as they are. And so the Christian faith, what this prayer reminds us of, is it's grounded in the past, but it's always leaning into the future. We're waiting for God to act. Your kingdom come because I'm tired of clear-eyed realism. Your kingdom come because we long for you to fulfill the promise that every tear will be wiped away. Your kingdom come because we long for all things to be made new, but in the meantime we wait. Like prisoners of war who have heard the announcement of liberating forces on their way, we wait. Like my kids, when we have friends and family come over and, and they hear the time estimated as they, they go up to the front window because of the joy of running down the stairs and saying, they're here. So we wait. Your kingdom come. So if the prayer begins with clear-eyed realism, then this is a prayer that's also grounded in our second point, which is concrete hope. We're waiting for God to bring his kingdom over all the earth. That's the hope. God would reign over his creation. And don't hear me wrong. God already reigns over his creation. He, he is sovereign. He is, he is the almighty king. Make no mistake about it. But we long for that reign to be known and realized, don't we? We long for that reign to be made known on this earth and in this world. Every nook and cranny 
And this is the kingdom that Jesus inaugurated. Uh, This is especially important when we talk about this concrete hope. So much of the way that it's concrete is that we see it embodied in Jesus who gives us this sneak preview of the kingdom that we anticipate. And so in Mark 1.14, Jesus begins his public ministry when he announces the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. He is saying the kingdom of God is here. Not we're waiting for it. Now we're waiting for it. But Jesus says at least right there, it's here. You can see it. And so repent and believe the gospel. Jesus is heralding the announcement of God's kingdom. Uh, It's been likened to a king who's been off and away from his realm and then who returns to take back his throne. And so Jesus says, he begins his ministry, the king is back. The king is back. Repent and believe. And so in some ways, because Jesus said so, In a real, already way, the kingdom is among us. God is with his people. Jesus reigns in us and among us as his people. We have already been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. The forgiveness of sins is not some hope for expectation. It has been received. It is the reality now. The church is an outpost of this kingdom, and our purpose is to herald this king and his victory over sin and death. But we still got that nagging, clear-eyed realism, don't we? That this world is a mess, that I am a mess. Because sin and death sure do seem to have all the power. It sure feels like they have the upper hand. And so the reality is that we need something more than Jesus reigning in our hearts, don't we? We need Jesus reigning in this world. And that's the biblical hope. That's the concrete hope. This is the Old Testament prophetic hope that Jesus comes and he taps into. And he says, that hope is found in me. And so let's explore the hope that Jesus taps into. Uh, Let's let's think of the heaviness of the world first, right? Uh, After darkness, light was a a slogan of the Reformation. And I think that's, that's clear with the kingdom of God, too. Think of the clear-eyed realism. So what does our world look like, right? You just scan the news briefly. It's week after week of shootings. Week after week after week after week of shootings. We see war-ravaged refugees, and, and we see the, 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 the weight that they're losing uh, as they're kept from supplies. We hear of impending um, famine Because of the world supplies, so much of the grain that we get in the world comes from Ukraine, and so there's panic over what the future will look like. We live in a culture that hates righteousness and celebrates wickedness. And oftentimes we do too. Think of your sins that have attached to you like a barnacle for 20 years, 30 years. You're wondering lustful eye your quick temper, your first word, always judgmental, your apathy toward God, your garage that is full of of garbage because you thought one more thing would satisfy you. Who can fix this? Who can restore what is lost and who can repair what is broken? What can save us from despair or misplace optimism in humanity's ability to save itself? The kingdom is coming. This is the biblical message. It is not a message of leaving. It is not a message of escape. It is a message that the king will come. Let me give you some examples. 
Ezekiel 34. The prophet just sees Israel that is ruled by shepherds leading them away from the true God. And so this is what God says. He says, I, I myself, that's a good start, isn't it, when he does it. I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, I will seek out my sheep. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. Did you hear the good news of that announcement? It's God telling us, I, I will do the work. In Zechariah 8, it's beautiful pictures that we know because we are human beings and we can relate to this, even as they are communicating the better kingdom that's coming. So this is what it says. Again, thus says the Lord, I, I have to get involved. I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem each day, staff in hand because of great age. Streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. I will save my people from east and west, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they will be my people, and I shall be their God in faithfulness and righteousness." Again, these are just pictures of the good life, aren't they? These are, these are pictures of old men and women who sit with their staff, not in a world of Alzheimer's, not in a world of cancer. These are kids, boys and girls, playing in the street, not with gun violence, not with fentanyl overdoses, not with all of the mental illness that's eradicating all of our society. This is the kingdom coming. This is the hope. Isaiah 52, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen lift up their voice and sing for eye to eye. They see the return of the Lord to Zion. The voice of the watchmen, there he is. There's our king. So what is the kingdom? It is the Lord returning to his people held in the clutches of sin and death in order to deliver them and set them free. And this hope is concrete because we have a taste of it, don't we? We've already seen it. We have seen the good shepherd return to gather his sheep, and that good shepherd lays down his own life. We've seen the Lord return to his people. He returns to Jerusalem, but he does not find a faithful city, but he is the faithful one, and he saves people from east to west as he is crucified outside the gates of his own city because he is so darn determined to be our God in faithfulness and righteousness. How beautiful upon the mountains are just the feet of him who brings the gospel of peace secured in the blood of Jesus his son. So the kingdom of God is, is not merely some mystical reality. It is as concrete as it gets. It is the Lord returning to his people. And so every miracle that Jesus did was not just a sign of his power and authority and divinity. Every miracle he did wasn't just to gain credibility and, and attention. Every lame person healed, every demon cast out, every blind person made to see, every dead person raised to new life was this bold, tangible announcement God's kingdom is in our midst. This is what it looks like. Soak it up. This is your inheritance. Friends, this is your destiny. 
Soak it up. Where you see healing and, and the restoration of what sin and death have disfigured and destroyed, there you see God's kingship displayed. That's the kingdom we're praying for. Your kingdom come. Bring shalom. Bring peace. Bring well-being. Bring flourishing. Your kingdom come. Put an end to suffering and sickness. Put an end to wickedness and evil. Put an end to war and to hatred and to prejudice. Put an end to drug addiction and suicide. Put an end to mental illness. Put an end to death. Your kingdom come. Replace my clear-eyed realism with a clear-eyed view of the king. Jesus says, pray like this. Your kingdom come. Lean into the concrete hope of God's kingdom. Starts with clear-eyed realism, right? That's where this prayer starts. It's concrete hope. It's concrete hope. It's not just escape to heaven with our harps and our, and our pillowy clouds. It's the king returning to this world. And as much as we anticipate a future kingdom, we've got to talk about how this kingdom breaks in even now, which is this, this last point, the countercultural transformation. And this is where we'll wrap up. Right, we're always playing with this idea of the already and not yet. Already we experience the kingdom, but we, it's not yet, is it? It's not yet. We're waiting for God's kingdom to come in full over the earth in the new creation. We're not yet there. But we also pray for God's kingdom to work its way out among us here and now, which is the already. God's kingdom is, is worked out among us. And so how do we experience this kingdom? Even right now in this church, how do we experience this kingdom? And what makes it so countercultural? And not just to this culture that, that we're in. Every single culture, every single culture, this is, this is counter to it. First of all, it's received. In the New Testament, we see God's people praying for the kingdom. They pray for the kingdom, uh, but they do not build the kingdom. The kingdom is God's, and so what does that mean? It means we can receive it. We can seek it. We can enter it. We can inherit it, and we can proclaim it. That Jesus is king, and in him is found the forgiveness of sins. So this shapes what we do as a church that prays this prayer, because we are in the business of proclaiming the forgiveness of sins. Full stop. That's our first job, to proclaim the forgiveness of sins, which is the heralding of this kingdom. We are in the business of proclaiming a message of grace that, that we hear as a foreign announcement that, that we struggle to understand. It's like we barely understand the second language, and so we're, we're deciphering what we can grasp. That is what grace is to us. A language of grace is like a foreign language in this world where our natural speech is judgment and condemnation. I was talking to someone this week about why I still do this job. When you've done this long enough, you have, you have seminary peers who have walked away from the faith. I went to Bible college, so don't, don't, not just a couple of peers. You go back to your Bible college days, you've you got dozens of people who have walked away from the faith. Um, they're not too different from me, so why do I still do this job? I've seen enough people deconvert to at least ask myself those questions of why I still do this. And I have two main answers. I, I mentioned one of them last week, which is really, I think Jesus is that compelling. <laughs> I think he's that good. He's that different. He's, he's that beautiful. And the other answer is that I think the grace of the gospel is that exciting. Christ died for the ungodly. What does that even mean? Do you speak that language? I don't speak that language. Christ died for 
atheos. Atheist is what the Greek says. At the right time, not when we were strong, not when we had our stuff together, Christ died for the ungodly. And so who am I but one who has received what I simply, from the get-go, and at the end, I do not deserve. And that's who you are, and that's what should unite us all. And this is the message we proclaim, and it's the message as kingdom people that, that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to embody and to live. That, that foreign word comes in, and it transforms us here and now. And so your kingdom come, yes, it's an anticipating prayer, but it's a prayer to be embodied and enacted now. God, shape me by your kingdom. It's easy to be shaped by the world and its kingdoms. We all are. Every news media company wants to tap into our fears and it monetizes our anger. Marketers sell us counterfeit visions of the good life. Our cultural priests are telling us that the good life is found in going in here and living out what you find. And before we ever hear any of them, our own hearts are looking for an identity, meaning, and purpose apart from God. And so by the Spirit, in this community... We are asking for the redemptive presence of God to be known and felt here and now. We are asking for the reign and rule of heaven to be experienced on earth. Just a glimpse of it. And this is a prayer that's, that's met here. In this community where, where the ways of the kingdom are embraced. Of word, sacrament, prayer, fellowship of the saints. All of these are used by God as counterformation. Being shaped by his kingdom and not the kingdoms of this world. Let's take it down a step deeper. What does it look like for myself to embody this kingdom here and now? There, there are a number of ways. I, don't, I only have so much time. There are a number of, of places I could have gone to. There are a number of ways that, that kingdom living manifests itself. We looked at we're awaiting people. Um, we, we should be a hopeful people. And that's a big deal in this day and age, isn't it? To be supremely hopeful. And why are we hopeful? Not because of utopianism. We are hopeful because the kingdom is coming. But it also looks like a community of people who strive in faith by the Spirit to walk in that kingdom, and to resemble more and more of their king. Greatest description, I think, that we can get our hands on and wrestle with. It's found in Romans 14, where Paul says that the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the spirit. The kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy. So the church, you and I, we are to be a people who pursue righteousness because we are a kingdom people. Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. To seek to live according to the way of our king because we are those who quite simply, we've been saved by the king. We're those by faith who, who, who alone have, or we are those by faith alone who have received the righteousness of Christ. Reckoned as righteous, called, empowered to pursue the righteousness of the kingdom. What does this look like? Let's take it down another level. Here's another example. 1 Timothy 6, Paul has advice for the rich. Uh, it, this is a, a mundane example, and I think you could probably play with this uh, example and, and keep going with it. But I think it's really helpful for all of us, because um, no matter where we are, we're, we're richer than somebody. right? And so this is what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6. Don't be haughty. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Do good. Be rich in works, be generous, be sharing. Because when you do those things, you store up real treasure. And here's the kicker. 
you take hold of that which is truly life. Isn't that beautiful? You take hold of that which is truly life. And that means, of course, that far too often we're taking hold of something that is not truly life. And so Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come because that is truly life. Take it. Secondly, we are characterized by peace. That just makes sense, doesn't it? We have peace with God. He has reconciled us to God by the blood of his cross, Colossians 1. He himself, here's the application, he is our peace who then makes us both one through his broken flesh. He takes down the dividing wall of hostility that separates Jew and Gentile, that separates every distinction that we put among ourselves, Ephesians 4. Our earthly divisions mean something, right? The goal of the new creation is every tongue, tribe, and nation would worship Jesus as king, not this this generic blob of humanity, but in particular, all of these beautiful diversities celebrating their one king. One holy Catholic and apostolic church is what the call is. And so we look different. We come from different places. We have different abilities and interests and passions, and they are all relativized and subordinated and washed by our new citizenship. I mentioned last week that when we live according to the name that we have received in our baptism, we testify to the truthfulness of the word. When we are ambassadors of reconciliation who pursue peace with one another, we bear witness to the gospel of reconciliation and peace. We say it's true as best as we can. When we are divisive and bitter and self-righteous and self-justifying, we are communicating, frankly, the gospel doesn't matter. But the kingdom is breaking in. It's making us a community of peace. Finally, and this is the throwaway one that has to be essential. We are to be a people of joy. To pray for God's kingdom to, to come is is to have our hearts set on joy. Joy is integral to what Christ has done. It is integral to his kingdom. I mean, think of the Christmas story in Luke 2. What do what the angels announce to the shepherds? They say, fear not, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. You and I have been called into a life of joy. Not cheap happiness, Not paint a cheesy smile on your face. No, your kingdom come is a protest to the things of this world that offer to satisfy, but they leave us empty. And so this is a heart-orienting prayer where we say, because you wouldn't you alone satisfy. And that's where joy is found. And so friends, we're surrounded by worldliness. And the thing is, is, it's like this big metal object and the magnet that draws us to those big, beautiful metal objects that allure us, it's the magnet in our hearts. It's our sin. It's our indwelling sin. We feel that pull. We feel that pull through materialism, through hedonism, through tribalism, and a number of other isms, and the kingdom is here, and it's calling us to the way of a better king, in a better way, his righteousness. We are surrounded. In fact, we, 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 it's like a false kind of oxygen to, to our, our lungs, all of the anger in our world. And we're surrounded by the spirit of fear, the spirit of anger, the spirit of division. Yet the kingdom is here and it's a kingdom of peace. We're surrounded by despair and anxiety, but a kingdom of joy is already among us, reminding us that our security is sure in him. That his victory is done. Remember the good news of the prophets. 
I and I alone will do this. And so we pray your kingdom come. We pray it as a leaning people waiting for God to make all things new. We pray it as a people who long to see this not yet kingdom already breaking in now. And so we pray your kingdom come. Let's pray. Father, I don't think I am off base in, in coming before these, these, uh, these dear people, these saints who have hearts that are, are, are aching, who have hearts that are, are even uh, desensitized to the evil of this world. Hearts that are discouraged, hearts that can easily tremble and begin to slip into despair. Lord, I join them. And so we hear the, the words of our master sitting at his feet as his disciples. Lord, teach us to pray. And so Holy Spirit, we give you the job of, of, of sealing this word deep into our hearts that, that the answer is there, that we become a praying people um, not only um, bringing our lists before you, which we're delighted and oh, what grace there is that you long to hear our, our, our prayers and our, our lists of needs, and yet you remind us the stakes are so much higher. The stakes are so much higher, and yet your shoulders are strong enough. The hope is so much more concrete than, Lord, take me home. The hope is so much more concrete than uh, these visions of, of ethereal bliss. Now it's earthly. It's of dirt and trees and mountains. It's of animals and embodied human beings, not just souls, but flesh and blood human beings living in the joy of their king. Lord, you've given us that appetite and, and we're, we're, give us the, the eyes to see that you are the one who fulfills it. Lord, your kingdom come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.